This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for August 22nd, 2023. Hey, everybody. Today, I am interviewing Bryant Cannon from Night School Studio. I am really excited for you to hear that conversation, but before we get to it, one quick note. This episode is something of a milestone because it marks 10 years of this show being on the air, whatever the air means in a podcast context. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been listening since the beginning or anything at all in between, thank you so much for being here. It really means a lot. To kick off the second decade of the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast, we are launching a supporter feed for Patreonizers and some such sundry supporters. This will have little essays in the style of the one that I did way back in episode one. It'll also, when possible, have bonus content with the guests. That's the case this week. Bryant and I had a 10-ish minute self-containedish conversation apart from the main interview about what makes a night school game a night school game, what he thought of Disco Elysium, and what potential future he thinks it points to for narrative games. It's good stuff, and that will be the inaugural thing on our premium feed. So check it out if you're so inclined. The main show will remain free, and speaking of the main show, on with that. Enjoy! Welcome to the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast, where we talk about everything by talking about games. I'm your host, Drew Messenger Michaels, and I'd like to welcome back friend of the show and full disclosure of me, uh, Bryant Cannon, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. For sure. This is always so weird to do like a formal interview with a person you actually know, because like you don't want to descend into inside jokes completely, but uh, which we won't. Um, so we're here mostly not to talk about the Extremely Rad game you just released, but we should at least briefly talk about the Extremely Rad game you just released, uh, because it'll sort of cue up what we are here to talk about, which is Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Yes, of course. What, for anybody who somehow hasn't heard of it, is Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals? Oxenfree Lost, uh, wow, I can't even say the name of the game anymore. Oxenfree Lost, Two Signals. (laughs) (laughs) Two Lost, Two Signals. Uh, Oh, man. Off to a good start. Uh, Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals is a sequel to our first game, Oxenfree, uh, which is a uh, walking and talking simulator, which sounds uh, pretty lame, but it's actually pretty great. Uh, it's about a bunch of uh, kids on uh, who go to an island to just party on the beach and uh, uh, drink, um, and they end up finding a cave full of ghosts. Um, and Oxfree 2 is a sequel to that game um, where it's, it actually jumps forward five years and you play as a different character named Riley. She's a 30-something-year-old environmental researcher who uh, is kind of pressing the reset button on her life and is uh, takes this job uh, um, in order to kind of set things straight, um, which you'll find out more about as you play the game. But uh, she, similarly to the teens from the first game, uh, finds kind of a connection to another world and some beings kind of spill out of that world and uh, threaten her and the people around her. And she has to kind of solve the mystery and, uh, 
fix things before before you know who knows what could happen indeed um we'll avoid spoilers like even even relatively light ones uh that's sort of one cool thing about the way we're talking about this is that we don't have to get too into that stuff and also you know i think people deserve to be surprised it's it's interesting because i think we'll talk about what kind of sequel tears of the kingdom is uh, and it's an unusual kind of sequel for Zelda, I think it's yeah. fair to say. Um, but Oxenfree 2 is just like an unusual kind of sequel in general, right? The way it moves the timeline forward. Like in some ways, it is the iterative sequel that a lot of game series try to do. Because it's like if Oxenfree is what if you could walk and talk. This is like what if you could walk and talk and you had a radio, um, which allowed you to talk to all sorts of people who may or may not be there and may or may not be plot relevant. Exactly. You've made things more complicated for yourselves in a way that empowers the player. In that way, it is the Tears of the Kingdom of Oxenfree games. Interesting parallel there. Uh, I love it. I love being compared to Zelda, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we intentionally went with a different character um, because we wanted people who haven't played the first game to love it uh, and have a way mm-hmm. in. Uh, to you very very pointedly you do not have to have played the first game to just dive into this one you'll you'll miss little things but you won't miss the main thrust yeah i think it's good to play the first one but you don't have to you can always go back to play the first one after um Mm. but they both kind of stand alone that's that's the goal at least and there are a lot of connections between the two um a lot of references back to the first game but uh the the meat of the character's story the meat of riley's story is stands on its own um Mm. And and that was that was very much intentional. A moment ago, I said radio when I meant walkie talkie because you have a radio in the first Oxenfree, yeah. but here yeah. it is a two way communication. Is. That is what ups yeah. the complexity immensely, right? And the, the thought behind that was like we we wanted players to kind of have more agency and more choice in how they approach the 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 problem in the, mm-hmm. the world and how how they engage with characters uh, because even in a branching game like Oxenfree, uh, you we're pulling you through the main story, right? And we, you're yeah, gen- yes. generally a, 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 a thrust forward, but we thought, what if you can just call up anyone at any time and have a conversation that feels a little bit more organic. And I think we're kind of, we are iterating, try to, trying to iterate on like the player's place in the world and how they kind of push and pull on uh, the other, other characters and, and events of the game. Yeah, it's open worldier than Oxenfree one, like Literally, spiritually, yeah. and the, like the art reflects that. There's a lot more like swaying leaves and flowing water, and it's just like a place the to word, explore. The word Metroidvania floated around, but Ooh. I I cannot say it's Metroidvania. <laughs> I wouldn't say it is, but it is Metroidvania. It's it's. I mean, the way the way that we've been taking inspiration from other games is taking like trying trying at least to take the essence of something of another game and implement it in a small way in our game. So it's like, we love Metroidvanias, but we love specifically just being able to find our way through the world. How can we adapt that into the story game and use it as a device to tell the story? That's interesting. Rather yeah, than yeah. just being like, oh, it's a Metroidvania mixed with this, mixed with that, and that. And then like signing ourselves up for all of that. <laughs> to open the blue doors, first you have to feel this emotion. Like, yeah, yeah. That's interesting design. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, we, yeah, we're just like taking little nuggets that we love from other games and, and trying to make that, like help that drive the, the story and the player's experience of the story. 
Yeah, totally. Not an Oxenfree that is a Metroidvania, but what if you approach a new Oxenfree with Metroidvanias in mind? What do you get that's interesting and and new? That's really cool. I mean, the reason I said radio is it was on my mind because the last time we talked, which was years ago, so no no expectation that you remember this, but you you referred to, and I think you've referred to the you've said this elsewhere as well. You've, you've said the radio in Oxenfree one was your attempt. In a, in a sideways way, at a Majora's Mask-like mechanic, uh, like mm. the masks or the time loop, insofar as it's something that is sometimes gameplay or plot critical, but most of the time just makes the world richer and gives you other weird ways to interact with things. I think in, in a way, the walkie-talkies are, the walkie-talkie is more like that than the radio that's, was. That's a good point, yeah. I I, I, I do vaguely remember that, and I, I think the walkie is the next iteration of that, because a lot of our story happens in dialogue, and uh, we had never been able to extend dialogue to the radio waves and to, um, yeah, a device that can that's, that's driven by the play, that allows the player to drive how they uh, interact with that dialogue exactly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when they initiate it and, and all that. Uh, of course, it presents a lot of more a lot more development problems like uh, you know the threads of dialogue interrupting other threads and all that like it multiplied by ten, but. Uh, but it's handled pretty elegantly. There's a lot of like, as I was saying, there's like it, it flows pretty naturally, even when the player is being a bit of a gremlin. I, I say this as a player who can be a bit of a gremlin <laughs> with that kind of stuff. Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. So, OK, one more thing to cue up the Zelda conversation, yeah. which is that like your role is different on this game than it was on the first game. It's right. True. We talked a bit about how. At the time Oxenfree 1 came out and then After Party, you were, you know, the, the technical whiz who was sort of raising his hand saying, hey, by the way, I am, you know, I know a lot about game narrative as well. I'm probably, uh, I can probably contribute there. Here, you're the director of the game. Your role is explicitly both simultaneously and like the big picture, right? Um, could you talk a little bit about like like how you approached specifically like making a new Oxenfree in the director's chair? Right, having been absolutely vital to the first game, to be clear, but in a much more specialized official position. Yeah, I mean, I think the the initial concept was still a, a collaboration between everyone on the team. Uh, like most of the leadership at the studio, kind of just sat down and kind of had an idea uh, that had a lot that we felt all had all felt had legs, and we we ran with it. Um, do you generate, you go by consensus in that way at night school, right? Like you're small enough that like to a certain degree, everybody's got to be bought in, I would assume. Yeah, exactly. But I think, but I came on as director about halfway through, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, was able to, um, kind of approach the game from a different perspective Mm -hmm. is, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's really for, for me, the, the, the biggest change is that is, is, is similar to how anyone experiences changes going in, like stepping into a manager position. Cause it's mm, yeah, day, like yeah. as a director, you're not necessarily giving people instructions all the time. You're just trying to make sure everyone's going in the same direction uh, mm, because mm. otherwise it's chaos. <laughs> That's an extremely good point. Yeah. Like there's very few people who can pull off the sort of, I said director's chair and I'm picturing you in like, you know, cool pants and whatever. Right. But it's not, <laughs> you're not, the goal is not to be an auteur director. Like you say, it's more of a managerial yeah. position. I think most successful directors in general, maybe game directors in particular, think of it more that way. It's about marshalling everyone's effort more than realizing your vision, capital Y, capital yeah. V. And it might be different at some other studios. I mean, I'm sure, mm. uh, I don't know, Hideo Kojima sounds like he has a lot of very specific ideas. That... I think the man might have opinions, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is, it's, it's, 
it's that we want everyone involved in the vision of the game. Um, and I just have to shepherd it along. Um, and oftentimes that means setting a lot of context and coming up with a lot of the initial ideas so that we have a direction uh, from the beginning. Because if you don't, it's chaos. Yeah, uh, yeah. And once that direction, that context is set, uh, everyone's helping shape it. And my job is less, no, that's not what I was thinking. It's, hey, that's that's a great like shift to the vision. Let's go with that. And kind of that's really such a good distinction. Curating, yeah. curating the the uh, people, just just curating how people contribute to that. It's not like was this what was in my head when I first started thinking about time distorting rain. It's does this work? Does this serve the project? Yes. And like someone has to make those decisions. But you should be you should allow yourself to be surprised and let other people's work sing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's as good a pivot point as any to talk about the Zelda series, because right. I think actually like its approach, I, I went ahead and read the boss fight book about Majora's Mask before this conversation, which had a bunch of stuff in it I was not aware of. Um, like I didn't know, for example, the degree to which Zelda games are gameplay first, right? There is not a single Zelda game with the possible exception of like the Capcom farmed out ones, Oracle of Ages and Seasons, yeah. not a single one that started with a narrative idea. It always starts with an aesthetic or a yeah. gameplay idea, yeah. and then the story gets kind of grabbed it on right and that includes breath of the wild that includes tears of the kingdom that includes majora's mask yeah. um so so let me let me ask this first i think i know the answer but you would say majora's mask is still your your favorite your all-timer yes yeah? that is all-time favorite game of all i just said i just said all-time twice never mind <laughs> <laughs> well no that's how that's how passionate you are about <laughs> all-time just... favorite game of all time <laughs> <laughs> it's an all-timer right. of all all-time favorite games of all time I, I think it's being compared in its relationship to the game that came before it to Majora's Mask. Tears of the Kingdom is, I mean. Um, and I wonder how you feel about that as a Majora's Mask uh, uh, all-time, all-timer. Do you think it's a fair SAT analogy to say that, like, Tears of the Kingdom is to Breath of the Wild as Majora's Mask is to Ocarina of Time? Oh, I guess so. But it's also a lot different in how they approached it. Um, mm -hmm. Like, Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask, they, they wanted to make a big shift to the entire structure of the game right mm -hmm. and rather than you know uh complete these temples and finish the boss it is uh keep looping through this world and keep you know you keep losing all your items over and over again to try to learn about the world and if from a spatial and temporal point of view um and use that to your advantage to 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 find the the things you need to beat the boss. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That that's why that's why I love that game. Yeah, uh, but it does so much with not little, but relatively little compared to other Zelda games, perhaps. Yeah, right. And like, Tears of the Kingdom is, Yeah, Tears of the Kingdom is like Breath of the Wild worked. Let's make it again. Which, it, but in in the best way possible. It's yeah, not sure, like sure. we're just gonna. It, it's not we're gonna slap some new quests on to this uh, this gameplay system we're gonna we're gonna they still iterated on the mechanics uh in a really i think special way with the with the building and whatnot mm. uh, they also just filled the world with more stuff like the, the way they reused their assets i think was pretty brilliant absolutely in both cases and I mean, yeah. for the record, you know, table setting, since I, since I did a bit of reading for this, uh, A.G. Onuma would agree with you that it's it's easy to overstate the comparison between Tears of the Kingdom and Majora's Mask, because from his point of view as a producer and previously a director, the most salient thing about Majora's Mask is they made a Zelda game in a year. 
which is a yeah. fundamentally insane thing to it's, do. It's, and yeah. a thing, I think it's it's telling that they haven't done that again since, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Whereas Tears of the Kingdom, they took like, you know, there, there's the, the, the story being told, I don't know whether it's the gospel truth, is that it, it was content complete a year before release. And they spent a year just polishing the weird edge cases that, that inevitably come up when like every power in that game is designed to break it, essentially. Right. Yeah. And it, they lean into it and it's insane. It's, it, it, <laughs> I, I would have expected a game where, you know, they, they fix a lot of those, those, you know, um, exploits that people use to add, you know, add a bunch of force to a rock and then ride the rock straight to Ganondorf and be Ganondorf. But they were just like, Oh, what if that was the game? Totally. Totally. It's, yeah. Yeah. For it. It's so good. They saw people playing the game as crazy, the game breath of the wild as crazily yeah. as it could be played. And then said, what if everyone could do that yeah. to at least some degree, yeah. which is so laudable, right? Cause it's so the opposite of a lot of triple a game design. I'm going to talk a little bit of smack. You don't have to co-sign this. A lot of it is so fussy. A lot of it, at least the word I always come back to. And that's what breath of the wild is. It's not the least bit afraid you'll break it or get lost or wander off or get bored or whatever. It kind of trusts you in a way that, you know, like, like all of the surfaces that are climbable being painted white or yellow just like doesn't do right. And it's, it's yeah. So like they, they took that breath of fresh air and said like, what if there was even a more expressive, more bizarre toolbox to snap on top of that? And they had to have known people would make dicks immediately and they, it just didn't bother them. Right. (laughs) For some reason, I, I, I just imagined Nintendo had no idea. Like, not, <laughs> if anyone would not, not know. On yeah. their, like, that doesn't, the thought never occurred to them. <laughs> we could do that with these rules. But I was going to say, like, that I think the, the design of the shrines uh, exemplify that the most to me in how Breath of the Wild's shrines were a step away from Zelda dungeons, but they still had a pretty. Uh, explicit solution. Sure. And the fact that these shrines just all you, the, all they have to do is put a big bottomless pit in front of you, and that's the shrine. Yeah. And yeah. that's it. And then you use just just using your own creativity to solve the problem uh, is the fun of of those shrines. The shrines are not about the the level designer like putting together this really complex. Uh, very fussy puzzle to solve, right? And uh, and playtesting the shit out of it to make sure that the player solves it right. Light the thing the player needs to be looking at, or they won't solve it fast enough. Yeah, yeah like like they 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 put a bit a bottomless gap in front of some of a playtester, and ten playtesters solved it in ten different ways, and they were all like, actually, that's good, and that I think is the bravest thing they did. It's it gutsy. kind of boggles, like it. It's it's one of those things where it's like I wish I would have been brave and like brave enough to do that on my own. Like I, I admit, like it's it's like I don't know. Every it breaks everything that that they teach you in in game design school, right? Mm. It's like yeah, it's orthogonal to that comment that like all standard game design advice is advice on how not to make mist the great <laughs> one of the most successful games of all time, right? Um, I've never heard that, but that's great. So so. Okay, so the reason I brought up Zelda games being gameplay first is because you feel it so much in Tears of the Kingdom, right? Like, obviously, people get really invested in Zelda narrative, you know, simple as it is. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I also, with it being this gameplay forward, I wonder how you feel about how Tears of the Kingdom, like, is narrative married to gameplay a little better? 
like in a way because it's so loose than it was in Breath of the Wild. I I, I want to hear your take on this because this is obviously something Night School excels at. Yeah, I'm trying to think back to Breath of the Wild. But as I was playing Tears of the Kingdom, I did think about how uh, how good their narrative design is. Mm. And what I mean by narrative design is I, I don't know if it if it's used. I feel like it's used differently in different parts of the industry. We've had narrative designers on in a good 15 minutes is usually defining what the term means. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some places it means you're a writer. Uh, yeah, some yeah. places it means you are a game designer. And, so, and many places it's it's somewhere in between. But I think mm-hmm. when I talk about narrative design, I mean, uh, how does the player interact with the narrative and how are the game mechanics mapped to uh, dramatic elements um, which is how uh, my old game design professor Tracy Fullerton always put it: is like there's there's like the formal elements, the dramatic, which are you know the hard mechanics, the dramatic elements, and the dynamic elements, which are like how they like the mechanics interplay. But well, that's interesting, yeah. So that 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 actually defines what the mortar is between the bricks of the Ludo and the narrative. So exactly, yeah. yeah. And and but but when I when I think about narrative design, I think about how well. Uh, the dramatic and formal elements are like in concert with each other. And mm. a lot of that comes with just like how strong your mechanical metaphor is. And mm. Zelda's mm. are fantastic because every single uh, mechanic in the game has some sort of, even if it's just a wacky, you know, uh, reason for be- reason for being there, it has a reason to be there in the world of the game mm, that's right and if it is wacky it's played as a joke right like it's like when you realize what it's doing there you're like ah this ridiculous world right exactly but everything yeah. feels intentional in that sense i mean think about the the the, the sign guy I mean, what's his name uh <laughs> oh, what is, uh, is everybody's hudson's uh yeah helper who's putting up all these signs and i've already seen link and that guy cosplay by the way which is a great couple's costume <laughs> that's fantastic um, yes uh, but yeah, totally goofy. Serves a really clear gameplay purpose. Teaches you all kinds of ways to handle gravity and weight and, and all sorts of stuff. It does, but the the way they decide, like the the way the what they've come up with for that gameplay element is silly, but it's so charming. <laughs> like it's it's just obscenely charming, and it, I think it's 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 kind of unique to Zelda because mm. many triple a games will try to give you like a very um realistic feeling experience um and try to i don't know like like link the gameplay mechanics to something that is that is more grounded in reality Mm -hmm. which often makes for dull gameplay in my opinion (laughs) it's also got this like xeno's paradox thing to it right where like if you try to stay far away from reality you're fine maybe it's more like the uncanny valley right but it's like the closer you get to something realistic the more you notice everything unrealistic about it you're making that you're giving yourself this burden that you can never really fully account for the other thing that i i really love that i i just started because i've I've, you know after working on games like ours for a long time and and playing zelda i think about how uh, I don't. I, I've been trying to like link it to the idea of uh, mise en scène, hmm. right? Like the like what's on the screen, but like in a game, what's on what's what is interactive on screen? And in Zelda, it's literally everything. And in some <laughs> other games, like I don't know, I'm thinking back to like Final Fantasy VII remake or something. It's like 
oh nothing it nothing in so this little world, like so little of this of this world is like actually means something mechanically but in zelda yeah. every just about every single pixel means something even if it's mm. just like i can climb this i can walk on this right, uh, right. Glass, zelda's really close to the the true extreme of that spectrum which is maybe like minecraft or dwarf fortress right like literally everything right. on screen can be interacted with or broken or put back together or whatever right and that that to me is is kind of a measure of how immersed i feel in an experience that's and, interesting that's and ha- like like how how much i really believe that i'm a part of this world versus i'm just driving this other character or this other avatar yeah through this world, through these very specific rules. And I start to see, and maybe this is a game designer thing, but I start to see the the bounding boxes. Like I see mm. that I'm moving cubes around, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in a very, very limited way. This so. forest is just a fancy hallway. What's going on here? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I love about Zelda. Yeah. Would you say that's what you've always loved about Zelda? What was, did, I don't know if we talked about this last time. What was your first Zelda? Was it the first Zelda or was it later than that? My first... Zelda was at a friend's house playing uh, Link to the Past. Okay. I love that. Never finished it on my own, but my first uh, game from front to back was Ocarina. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that's that's your super setup for Majora to be then your all-time favorite because it yeah. took it took that kind of framework. And again, like you're saying, reused assets in a way that Tears of the Kingdom does to some degree as well. It reuses different assets, right? Majora, of course, does not reuse the map, right? right. But does reuse character models and, and, right. you know, and items and things like that. Uh, whereas Tears of the Kingdom reuses the map, but also slaps a bunch of stuff on top. I, I think what I was talking about earlier is specifically what the the switch Zelda do really well but for for me i was always i always felt lost in the world because i mean maybe it is a, like kind of a related thing like i i felt like i i feel like zelda's always more been about variation or variety like if that makes sense like the fact that nothing felt like it was copy pasted from another part of the game and mostly in the world design like how how i interacted with characters and how the the the, how i think back to like like kakariko village right yes the 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 fact that the the that every npc in that in that town needed something but it wasn't like I have an exclamation mark over my head. I'm, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna give you a, a new quest uh, uh, that you know on your quest log, and it's another checkbox to fill off. It felt organic. That's that's probably better than variety. Is, is just it felt it felt like an organic world. It felt like it was, it was living yeah. and breathing at the time, um, and I felt like uh, there was always a secret around every corner. That's specifically the thing Majora doubles down on, right? That world is like frighteningly alive, which is why it feels so threatening that it could end. You know, like all of these people really are going about their day, their three days, right? And they do different stuff on the three days and you see their reactions to stuff happening. So often in games, it feels like the game is not happening to anyone but the player, or maybe it's happening to everyone but the player, right? Getting you invested in being in a place is actually like, I think like a hard narrative trick in an interactive experience. Because like you say, you could either try to railroad someone through or you could give them total freedom. Both are kind of a trap as far as like yeah. getting them invested in the world or they can be. I I think also what what 
you touched on and what resonates with me about Majora's Mask is that the all of the characters have agency. Mm. Um, and that's something that goes back to a, a talk that uh, uh, Megna, Megna uh, Giant? Giant, yeah. Currently of Thirsty Suitors. Yes, uh, Thirsty, renowned. Thirsty Suitors. Yeah. Uh, she gave a talk way back at GDC that was, that was talking about how like uh, char- characters need, like NPCs need to have agency. They can't feel like they are there as mechanics. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly, first of all, that's how I like to think in my own game design uh it, but in majora's mask uh every character has their own shit they're not there for you they're there for themselves <laughs> and at first at first when you like your first several loops uh they you, they kind you of don't have time for you have no idea you're gonna have no idea you know what their gameplay purpose is because yeah. they're you know uh they, you, the, it doesn't just come across. They don't just tell you like, oh, get, you come bring me five grasshoppers. It's all, it's all, it's just like, I, I'm sad because my fiance doesn't uh, recognize me anymore. And then the more you learn about it, the more you can, you can uh, learn about their problem and help them. Um, it's impossible but, not to think about the couple's mask quest, of course. Exactly, because that's I mean, just yeah, the, that's exactly yeah. what I was, what I was referencing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, yeah, it feels like, and and that in that sense, time becomes the way you can get closer to these characters, um, rather than it being some sort of uh, mechanical quest line. Feeling it's like, like wild, yeah, it's like wildly subversive too, right? Because just by the, by their structure, so many games are very like egocentric, right? The hero's journey is very much like you're going to save the world with your big boy sword, but this <laughs> is like the the ending of the world in Majora's Mask. It's almost like. I don't know. Like there's that thing where every generation has people who think we're in the last generation of yeah. people because it's, it's easier to imagine the world ending than to imagine the world going on without you. Majora's Mask makes it super easy to imagine the world going on without you. It does if you get the good ending. Yep. Um, so there's something like there's something profound about that. You know, yeah. as far as like I, I remember, you know, being a kid and playing it. That was like really decentering. Yeah, besides all the just sort of surface level ways that the game is tremendously creepy, yeah. uh, which are Legion. Yeah. And I, and I, and I get so tired of, I mean, we both play final fantasy 14 and it's just constant. Like I'm you're so tired so of being great. the special. You're the <laughs> most special person in the world. You're so, I, I so want to make an MMO where you, where you are not the most important person in the world. And it's all about the characters around you. And no one remembers who you are because no one remembers who you are in real life. Like, <laughs> who, the, no who were you again? We fought life. a dragon together, man. What do you mean you don't remember? Fantasy Star Online, right? You're a schmuck, right? Like, it's, the, I think the box even said, you are not the only hero, right? That was kind of like they leaned into that, where it's not an MMO, but because it's multiplayer, it's like you're just, you're a, you're a hunter. Hunters are a kind of person who go to this dangerous planet and they find stuff, and there are named characters, and you're just, you know you're a, you're a, a person to them. Yeah. That's kind of what you're describing, right? Like games have tried it. I don't know that any MMO has ever yeah, I don't pulled know. it off. No. It's really hard to resist the pull of making you go on that arc of, of going from some schmuck to being the most important person in the world. You're the most important person in the world. And so is everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Majora's Mask though, like coming back to that, it, it, in that sense, it was like, if it, it just felt more personal, it felt like a more personal, quieter, like, small story and it never like it the fact that it never grew past that into uh 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm the the important guy with the sword. It was just like, yeah, you're right. It stays very human scale. Like it is kind of about. I mean, minor spoiler. It's about like Skull Kid, and it's about you know, it's about a, a small yeah. cast of people, and it's the people like, of Clocktown. Yeah, yeah. No one, and no one. I, I, if I remember right, like no one in Clocktown is like praising you for saving them. No, because yeah, love. literally, like you said, literally, life goes on, and the only person who knows is the happy mask salesman. Yeah, so it becomes yeah. like that last scene with like the three of them and they're like kind of the only people who know knew this happened is like it was at the time was so big for a game. I think. Yeah, it's like the hole in the ozone layer or Y2K. No one appreciates the work that went in because we succeeded. We fixed it. Right. The world didn't end. So people just went on with their it was a stressful three days is all anybody remembers. There's yeah. something that's like genuinely heroic about that. Yeah. Would that be a key ingredient in an MMO where you're a schmuck, where it's just like you're so. you're less appreciated? Because I do I get tired of being praised in Final Fantasy fourteen. It starts to feel patronizing very quickly. <laughs> and then of course they have to invent another reason why some other group of people don't know who the fuck you are. Well, but they trust you after you bring them five bear asses, right? That's that's the only way to get anyone to trust yeah. you in this world. <laughs> um, yeah. Something I mean, okay, so I alluded to this a minute ago, but it occurs to me that as you've talked about your love of Majora's Mask various places and you've talked about how it influenced Oxenfree, one really obvious thing I, I don't think you've ever been asked about, which is Majora's Mask is the creepy Zelda, right? Oxenfree, uh, I'm not breaking news here, I don't think, is creepy, right? Was that part of the appeal, especially as somebody who I like, like, you know, knowing like how you grew up, you probably didn't have access to a ton of like straight up horror material, right? Like Majora's Mask was one of the scariest things I'd ever seen at that age because it got deep under my skin. Was that part of the appeal or was that sort of incidental for you? Like, was that part of what drew you to it? Because it's a lot creepier than Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time has its creepy elements, I like the first time you less, see the future, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Less creepy, less the creepy and more just the, the, the dark I like dark. Mm, I like mm. sad. <laughs> You're such a goth. <laughs> it's true. Um, I yeah, I think it's just more like it. Was, it seemed like a more uh, grown up, mm. real story. It was it was it, w- it was less you know. Um, you're here to save the day, and more like. You know the 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 moon is crashing into the earth, and. Uh, you know, the, it's 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 really it's a heavy story in a lot of ways. Yeah, like the yeah. world is ending, and when it happens, when you get a game over in Majora's Mask, it's bracing. It's like it's it's really heavy. It, it doesn't hold back. Really yeah, heavy. yeah. Um, and I I think I just gravitated towards that, um, and the creepiness probably gave it an edge that that um, made that feel more. I don't know. Like, no, I know what you mean, though. It is more dark than harder. creepy. It's not especially macabre. It's just that it's dealing with, like, heavy stuff. It's dealing with how people would react to their impending deaths, right? Whether that's resignation or denial or trying to finish what they've been working on or, right. or yeah, yeah, or, right. or all of the above or squabbling yeah, over unrelated it's, things. It's true. Every Everyone's everyone's little story in the town was, like, really depressed, <laughs> depressing <laughs> somewhere or the other, except for the hand that comes out of the toilet. He just wanted toilet paper. It was a no really movie. simple arc. Yeah, he's that's the true <laughs> hero's journey, I think. So, so to bring it back to Tears of the Kingdom, yeah. I feel like when we talk about this living, breathing world and these NPCs who all have their stuff going on, I feel like Tears of the Kingdom pulls off a similar trick in a super different way, which is the timeline moving forward. Stuff has happened in Kakariko Village or mm-hmm. in Hateno Village, right? And so like 
it's less about individual people, though there's some of that. It's about places, right? Like, because Breath of the Wild has, like, it, it's so much about your relationship to the place, to the land, to the wild, whatever. Yeah. Seeing how that's changed can make you feel all kinds of ways. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I had yeah. such a weird shifting relationship to the mushroom stuff everywhere in Hateno Village. I was like, this is hideous. Right. I'm against yeah. fashion. And then, you know, it, it gets nuanced. I loved that so much. Like, re- like, that was one of my favorite little villages, and it felt so mm-hmm. quaint. And then to see, like, politics emerge it's so good <laughs> and the the whole like you know it's the fashion capital of the world i'm like what happened to it? when i first heard that when i was like walking around in the in the, the central town i was like what the, i have to go there right now and yeah yeah what, what could that mean yeah what that means and i gotta say i did not guess it meant mushrooms on everything that was no, not, uh, where no. my head went but yeah, yeah like i mean tarrytown changed in a really interesting way mm-hmm. um kakariko changed in a really interesting way with like impa leaving and it being left to what i think her daughter or yeah P- paya yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, granddaughter then, uh, yeah i forget but yeah and family. then, and then yeah. like the things crashed the the ring ruins crashing into the village and and like her having to deal with that and, and the politics like the people don't agree about what the ring ruins are or how they should be treated like uh-huh. there's that's that's a, that's a piece of world building that i feel like it's neglected so much is yeah. like different people in your world are going to feel different ways about it and have different interpretations and be misinformed like there's a ton of that because of let's get into some uh tears of the kingdom spoilers uh well how far are you i i don't mind spoiling I, it for the audience but i, I don't want to spoil it for you i beat the game so okay. i'm good i'm I, I went 100 hours and was like i need to stop playing this okay okay so you've seen all the memories you got the master sword all that yes. good stuff yes. okay so dark zelda who has been wandering around giving everyone the worst possible advice <laughs> right <laughs> means that you have all these characters who are doing exactly the wrong thing for perfectly understandable reasons yeah. which is great because it gives you somewhere to go and like it makes you want to get to know them and convince yeah. them and all of that yeah uh yeah yeah i think that i i really liked cuz i also at, at first did not know that they were talking about a different zelda and I had right, to sure. that on my own. And that context switch was really nice because, yeah, it, it as I'm going on my adventure and uh, uh, progressing the main story, I now know what is actually going on in these other places. And the, right. the world building is also so restrained and um, it, it, like it, they, they don't, they don't, a lot of the world building is, is, very is is not thrown in your face it's very like it's very subtle it's got a light touch yeah in the way that like like the the one one like little detail that when i realized realized it 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 had like a weird like like sentimental effect on me is when i realized that all the kids in all the towns grew up a little bit like oh my god that was that was just like a kid running around but it's the same character and now they're in school and i'm like helping teach them like about you know Hyrule or whatever, and characters who coupled up in Breath of the Wild now have a kid that they didn't yeah, have. Like that's yeah. so, great. There's, so great. There's probably so much I don't know that I just haven't re- realized yet mm-hmm. uh, that happened. And if I were to go play back and play Breath of the Wild, I'd be like, oh, that's that character from from Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before it came out, I tried to just get through Breath of the Wild as quick as possible. I did a no divine beast, uh, oh. run around, get enough shrines that I have some hearts, go fight Ganon, uh, run. So so to your point, it was super selective. There were some things where I was like, oh, it's that guy. And there were some things where I had no memory, right? Right. And, and right, geography yeah. as well, right? Like you if you can remember the map. And sometimes that creates this almost uncanny effect where it's, it's like going back to the place where you grew up and seeing yeah. how different it looks. 
Yeah. And I, there was a lot of like, was this there before or is this mm-hmm. new? I don't know. And, and I, I think uh, uh, Anuma mentioned like they, they, they had heard f- feedback from Breath of the Breath of the Wild, basically saying, like, positive feedback, basically saying, like, I wish I could wipe my memory and do mm. this, play this again without, like, with fresh eyes. And that's yeah. how they wanted. That's how they approached Tears of the Kingdom. Like, they're like, let's let's actually make that happen. Let's see if we can give people the a, the same like a similar experience. Yeah. Um, uh, and make them feel like they're 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 seeing this world for the first time. That's a really uh, laudable goal. Yeah. yeah. So almost the almost the ideal way to play it is to have played Breath of the Wild when it came out, not just gone on with your life, and then played Tears of the years, Kingdom when it comes I think out. It's like a five year gap or so. Something right? like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Star Wars. The time between movies has been the time between between right, the timeline right. and movies or whatever. But also like yeah, like little things um, that I, I've heard about. One, I think fan theory maybe is like everywhere where there's a a, a chasm mm-hmm. is where a, uh, a shrine used to be. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know hmm. if that's actually the case, but that's it's but it's definitely the case in a lot of places. It's definitely the case. I'm pretty sure it's the case on the the plateau, but they never they never reference like why those are there or why the old shrines are gone. Right. Or what like happened that. to the divine beasts? It just kind of never comes up, which is yeah. sort of brilliant. Did you, <laughs> did you, how much of the depths did you do? Quite a bit. I did the whole master, the master yoga quest. Master Koga. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, master Koga, and, master of yoga. Yeah, no, I thought all the Yiga clan stuff was really good. I love, I loved uh, and that too. That another like restrained world building. Uh, yeah, where, that they've that I, they've been just down there. They've been down there, and I was, and then I then I went back to the 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 Yiga Clan hideout, and I was like, oh yeah, I kicked him down a a, a hole at the end of that quest line. <laughs> oh my god, he's just been down there, and there's he just never this, got out of the hole I kicked all him this into. Excavation equipment around the hole, and yeah, I, yeah, like the ex- implication is like, oh, people kept going in after him, and now they just all live down there. Yeah. <laughs> it's so perfect. And makes me think about the the like. There's so many other things in this world that I I don't know about, but mm-hmm. it feels real. It feels yeah. like there's there. This has all been thought about intensely lived in. Yeah. I brought up the depths in the context of the shrines because did you? I I the way that I found the shrines I was missing was when I realized the relationship between light roots and yep. shrines, which was like I was like a hundred shrines in before I realized that, and like yeah. many many roots. And I was like, yeah. wait a minute. And they they don't tell you that other than. If there's something interesting in the in the you know uh, the light world, there's something inter- probably something interesting there in the dark world too. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's all the context they gave you. So anytime I was like, oh, I'm at this uh, uh, peak. I wonder what's at this peak in uh, in the, the the underground, the depths. And it's like, oh, I can use the the like these. There's like a big pillar that goes all the way up to the top, so you can actually get really high up uh, in the overworld by going to the depths, like flying down to the depths and then like using the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's places you can't get to otherwise unless you've got like a, a, a very gnarly flying machine. and But yeah. but you may not even know to go up there, right? They're yeah. like kind of weird little nooks and crannies of the world, which is so yeah. good. And did you did you do the, uh, the, the what was it? The Kokori Forest quest? Yes. So, so interestingly, I got the Master Sword before I found my way to the forest. Me too. So... Did you that moment 
messed me up in the best possible way, right? Just just finding it without any context. And that means by the time I talked to the great Deku tree, it was like, find the master sword, complete, do this thing, complete. Oh, you already did it. That's cool. And you know that we were talking about accounting for player behavior. It was pretty, it was, you know, relatively elegant in the way it did that. But finding the master sword without context was such an emotionally intense experience. Yeah. Like the light dragon appeared. I went for the light dragon and then I just like lost my mind. Yeah. It was talk about trusting the player and having that pain narrative dividends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Since we're in the spoiler zone, I should say what I'm talking right. about, right? Because anyone who's this far and doesn't know probably would like to know. Yes. Um, the Master Sword has been in Zelda's head uh, for 10,000 years. Right. Because she turned herself into a dragon in a last ditch effort to keep the Master Sword safe until Link could get it. Yeah, it was the, it, o- so. the only way for her to deliver the Master Sword is to hold on to it for a thousand years. And in order to live for a thousand years, she had to transform herself into a dragon. Yeah. And she doesn't change back when you take the Master Sword out, right? As far as you can tell at that moment, she just is going to stay a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. lets you think that that's the case basically until the very end of the game. Um I don't know. Did you feel like Zelda was going to stay a dragon? Did you buy it? Like, like stepping I back. Of course, it, of course she was. But... Of course she's going to change back after you beat them. I don't mean yeah. intellectually. I mean, emotionally. <laughs> emotionally. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. That like, it, it felt like a bold move. Yeah. From, like, you know, for a Zelda game to, to be like, oh yeah, this even for a moment. Oh yeah. yeah. The character that the game's named after she's, uh, she basically just sacrificed herself to, mm-hmm. to save the world. Yeah. And it also, like the existence of Rauru and so much else, it just felt like such a gift to furries, which, good for them. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> they, they need a win right about now, huh? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so so as long as we're talking about the ending, how'd the ending land for you? Um, I I'll, Cards on the table, I cried. Um, I don't know that I've cried at the ending of a Zelda game before. I felt yeah. like the journey was at an end. Maybe Wind Waker. Wind Waker, I got pretty emotional. That one's pretty, because uh, again, it has like this very kind of, personal relationship at the center of it um and i definitely felt i felt a lot of things at the end of majora's mask but it was just like mostly i just couldn't believe what i was seeing (laughs) and the fact that life goes on without me so yeah how did the ending of tears of the kingdom land for you i thought it was good i i i was more most excited by trying to think back now it was it was the the final boss battle was incredible Mm -hmm. the 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 drag like riding the dragons around and, and the like the just straight up Dark Souls fight before that <laughs> against oh, Ganondorf, yeah, right? Like yeah. the one on one. Oh, that was good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. Um but all of that I felt like I, I've I've loved in both of these games how the final bosses in Breath of the Wild and and Choose the Kingdom feels like insanely epic. Even compared to the other bo- like the other boss battles in the games. Like the final boss is like we're gonna let we're gonna we're gonna do this whole thing in the open world. We're going to reuse the mm-hmm. world for this crazy shit that's going to happen. Something of um, impossible scale. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way they can do flying, right? Like the whole, the whole thing is flying in this game. So there's, there's no way they're going to make a game, a boss ball where you can, you're like flying around and they did. I'm like, Oh my God, this is great. Um, but then just the, 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 the whole um, like sequence after that, I, I like, of like, uh, Link like diving after Zelda and, and mm-hmm. everything. It's, it's so it was so it was really satisfying. I really yeah. liked like that. What was what was your what was like the moment for you in the ending that 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 got you? Um, the reuse of the, it was weird, but that the visual motif of the really big splash when you because the, for the, for those who haven't played the game, 
no matter how far you fall, if you land in water, you're fine. And them landing in the water with that splash and like knowing that it was like the end of this journey and like they were at a place of like safety. Uh, And yeah, yeah, like, I don't know, that just got me because it because it wasn't, you know, it didn't deliver it through heavy handed anything. It was just like using this motif that the game had used a million times to tell you that they were safe now like that. That got me real good. That's yeah, that's. And it was just fucking pretty, that yeah. too. But, um, <laughs> I love this version of Link and this version of Zelda, you know? So, I mean, I, I, it's not just me. The internet loves them too, but right. yeah. Do you have a favorite Link in Zelda? And are they, are they, there's no Zelda in, Majora, in uh, Majora's Mask. So, so that's, uh, that's true. A favorite, a favorite Link in Zelda? Do you have like favorite iterations of one or both of those characters? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's just nostalgia, but I'm, I'm all about the, the ocarina adult link mm, yeah coolest looking i learned from the majora's mask boss fight book that that was actually uh oh my god one of them um was it a, a numa it might have been a numa uh his wife saying like what they had like a version of 3d link who was kind of like button nosed and like elvin and he was like why are all your characters so goofy can't you have a handsome one and so they made adult link to be the hunky nintendo character with the, <laughs> with the tousled hair and the earring and yeah uh-huh. oh the earring the earring is so good i love it very of its time so yeah. much yeah yeah. I remember thinking at the time, like, it's it's just such a wonderful touch that some at some point when he was in hypersleep or whatever, he got his ear pierced. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. It's wonderful. Uh, yeah, there's 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 probably some lore there. They probably have an explanation for it. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Yeah, I do. I do remember right after Majora's Mask and being like uh, at first the knee jerk reaction of seeing Wind Waker was like really like disappointment <laughs> yeah same i remember reading a nintendo power or whatever like miyamoto saying it's like playing a cartoon and it's like i don't think i want to play a cartoon because <laughs> it's it's really hard to imagine now i was thinking about this a lot with the mario rpg remake yeah. uh which i think attempts to be very visually faithful to mario rpg but in in a way that's kind of wrong because like at the time those were like the best graphics that were possible <laughs> you know what i mean like it is cartoony of course but it's like a level of detail that was heretofore impossible and so it hit differently yeah. than the same level of detail would now am i making a lick of sense here right no, like, that makes absolute sense like the yeah. fact that 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 uh yeah we have more fidelity now we add details to characters and it's like oh wait that wasn't there before oh this this tells me something about the character that I don't really like. <laughs> Sometimes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ocarina of Time, which is very stylized, right? And they kind of doubled down on that particular form of stylization in Twilight Princess. Yeah. But yeah. at the time, I think Ocarina of Time, like in my brain, was just like, oh, this is as realistic as Zelda can reasonably look. Right, right. I am basically looking at a photograph. But even but even in the concept art for, for Ocarina, there was, some, there was something in front between Ocarina and Twilight Princess where there was like, uh, an increase in like detail on his sure. outfit or something. Totally, totally. It just didn't sit right with me. Where it it felt less. I think it felt less iconic. And all I wanted, hmm. all I wanted was like high res, uh, you know, link that looks like the concept art, and hmm. not not some not like more little you know. Uh, uh, not more zippers, you know, belts, you know, <laughs> just didn't want, of, didn't want the 10,000 functionless belts. Okay. Off, the, off the top of my head. All I think about when I think Twilight princess link is like, Oh, there are a bunch of belts like all over. It's probably not even the case. It probably does not even come close to how many belts are on, uh, that final fantasy 10 character. Yes. Yes. Okay. He's got like a belt and he's got like a sword holster, which does look like an additional belt. I will grant you. So yeah. Yeah. 
Now I'm looking it up because uh, because I'm, I feel I feel like I'm I'm probably wrong here. Yeah, no, I too remembered him having like three more belts. It was just that era of character design. See, no, yeah, it's just like it's just oh, you can see his his uh, like the lace the the uh, stitches in his like sleeves and the the chainmail mm. under his tunic and all that, and it it feels like a level of detail that I'm just like. I don't know. And, and it's also just kind of the color scheme. And it's, yeah, you know, it's much more muted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is the classic Scott McCloud stuff, right? Like it's, it's the thing we were talking about with realism. The closer you get, the yeah. further the distance seems. Whereas I think like Wind Waker, most would agree visually and otherwise has aged. Well, maybe not in every gameplay way, but certainly visually has aged like a fine wine, right? Yeah. Like it, it just, it still looks great and so expressive. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's. I mean, in hindsight, it is. It's one of the best looking Zeldas. Like, it, yeah, totally. And, they, totally. and I think they 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 hon- they took the high level ideas of you know let's let's take a step back from reality uh, and, and hyper realism um, and applied that in Breath of the Wild. Absolutely, it's, it, it's still cell shaded, but it's cell shaded in a way that looks more mature. And less like a Saturday morning cartoon and more like an anime, you know? Yeah, that's a good distinction. I've heard people complain about just the sheer amount of bloom on it. But for whatever it's worth, 100% of the people I've heard complain about this are game developers. I've never heard just like a person say, ew, bloom. In uh, in in Breath of the Wild? There's a lot yeah, in Breath of the Wild. Just okay. the fact that, you know, like if there's grass swaying in the wind and they don't want to render every blade of grass, just throw some bloom on it. Or, you know, like make, oh, yeah. make, the, make the, the light, the sun or the moon distort it, right? Like it's like kind of the catch-all visual solution. I think it's gorgeous. Yeah. And it creates that kind of like, as you say, like that anime level of abstraction. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, for me, it works like gangbusters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the tech behind it is i'm, I'm always lo- uh, looking at like how did how do they make those shaders work it's, how the fuck did so... they make those shaders work because it seems like it must be optimized to within an inch of its life to do what it does on the switch i'm sure oh yes oh yes <laughs> it, i mean nintendo is the best at this like, i always think about how nintendo has must have the most brilliant tech team mm. to to make what they make work on on this hardware that's like it's like the lowest level you know the lowest performing hardware out there like phones yeah you know, iPhone 14 is like five switches right uh, <laughs> together uh but, but but they just have it they have it so on lock they have it so mm. it's 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 so buttoned up and maybe more so in like a uh like a mario game just seems seamless like completely mm. seamless um i just don't know how they do it like how do you organize that much that like they they probably have like 50 to 100 engineers working on this thing it's like how do you get all like that yeah detail and that uh i don't know a game that is not buggy at all like it works so well like how how do they which makes the bugs almost weirdly impressive did you were you um were you (laughs) were you around man when that one item duping glitch happened you go to tobio's hollow yeah? yeah and so for anybody who didn't get to experience the glory it was very fun um, you, you shoot, uh, an arrow with like a Lionel bow. That means like for one arrow, you get multiple arrows. And if you attach something to that arrow, an aspect of the game we haven't talked about at all, but you can attach oh, yeah. stuff to stuff. So you can have meat arrows and frozen meat shields to surf on. It's great. <laughs> but if you attach like a diamond to an arrow and you shoot it at this one specific spot, I think it basically hits where a new area would load and freezes in midair. And so then your three diamonds drop to the ground and you can pick them up. Yeah. Uh, they patched that. I don't know how they fixed it, but it was actually like so cool to see like, I, because you realize you've walked past that seam and missed it yeah and that's it's so impressive yeah 
I, I mean, the most important, the impressive part is the, uh, is just the physics and how, mm-hmm. how seamless the physics is and how it never breaks. Like I've never seen it work. It, it, sometimes it's a little wonky, like carrying large bulky objects, but it never breaks. I, I literally attached, like I had a centipede of, uh, of <laughs> like wooden boards. There were, it was like 10 long with like 10 wheels on each side. And somehow it worked and I drove it around. And that's I was amazing. Like, what, what is this game? I had to get a bunch of logs to Lurlin Village and I made like, I think I tweeted about this. I, I, mm-hmm. uh, or I X'd about it. Whatever. We're not going to call it X. I sent out a series of posts about making a bunch of janky trucks and eventually just ended up slapping four wheels or actually six wheels onto a pile of logs. It's remarkably, remarkably elegant for being so uh, free and, you know. Wacky. And they also really elegantly merged real physics and fake physics in a lot of places mm. and made the feeling of the physics like intuitive. So the way rockets work uh, is not physically accurate at all. It's like at, like when the rocket goes off, it's like add 50 speed. So you, mm. you, you learn inherently like no matter how big your object is, you're going to go at, you know, 50 units per second or whatever. Uh and if rockets really work that way, even Musk could handle it. But that's <laughs> it's more complicated than that in the real world. Yeah, it just feels intuitive. Like what you know, I'm I'm thinking about it from a very technical point of view, thinking about how like you know, I'd be putting this together in Unity. But there are like rigid body objects, you know, physics objects that are uh, static, and there's like priorities for which like movement of which objects like overrides others. Mm-hmm. So, but but everything feels. Normally that'd be really arbitrary. Uh, either it'd be arbitrary or it, it'd work too realistically and nothing would work the way you want it to. Mm. But it feels, it feels so intuitive. It feels like every, every, uh, every physics object I'm affecting is, is acting as I expect it to. And that is never the case in physics-based games. There's no, always, I think a physics-based games is fundament- fundamentally chaotic most yeah, of the time. Yeah. yeah. Even the, even when they're deterministic, they feel chaotic because you just feel like you have so little ability to predict what's going to happen. And this really doesn't feel like that. No, not at all. Yeah. Did you make a whole lot of death machines? Did you did you ever enter your war crimes phase in Tears of the Kingdom? No, I just made airplanes. You made airplanes? That makes sense. For those who don't know, you are a flight simulator guy I through am. and through. I am through and through. I'm just glad Nintendo finally made a game for you. I they did. Yes. I I, I multiple times I tried to make the the largest airplane I could with like four different wings attached together with like six fans. You tweeted about this a bit. I've seen some of your creations and they look like they look like early attempts at flight, like pre Wright Brothers. Right, like. yes, exactly. So and then I'd like take off and then run out of battery and fall. <laughs> <laughs> like Icarus. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, was there was there other stuff that blew your mind in Tears of the Kingdom that Let's you were? Let's see what what did what else blew my mind in Tears of the Kingdom. I I really appreciated how much more just alive the world felt in general. We talked about we touched on it, but like Breath of the Wild uh, felt very empty all the hmm. time. But it feels like the 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 I don't know what they filled the world with was oftentimes characters that felt kind of like closer to like what I would expect from Majora's Mask. That's interesting. So in that, yeah, yeah, yeah. In that sense, the parallel actually makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah filling out the specific sort of emotional and mechanical space exactly yeah yeah yeah, no, because Breath of the Wild, it's narratively justified because this is a world just barely recovering from a calamity. There just aren't that many people and they just haven't progressed that far. Tears of the Kingdom is what if society is a bit further along and they are starting to put things back together. Yeah. If I may, Oxenfree 2, if Oxenfree 1 is you show up on the spooky island to just drink and what happens happens. Oxenfree 2 is like, but what if we investigated this island? What if we applied a methodology, right? We're going to get more than we bargained for, but it's that same kind of thing of like, like the what about next? What about what if we take seriously what happened last time? Hopefully this isn't too labored a comparison, because to me, it's just like an interesting way to do a sequel is think about like, really, what might a very different person or a person at a very different phase of life think about this place? Yeah, you that's, know, to me, that's an interesting that's question. Goal. Yeah, and, and, and it, that's exactly what I love about how Tears of the Kingdom handled that. And a lot of yeah. times sequels can be like, the bad guy's back again, and that's it, which is the case in, in this game, technically. Kind of, but, yeah. But the the context of the world and every, is, is what really evolves. But a lot of times it's just like, yeah, like there's another bad guy that you have to, that, that's back, and and you're going to do the same things again to get, to, to, to beat him. Or it's the same bad guy. Cause the other one was a clone. Right. It's, oh, yeah. yeah or whatever. No, I, I totally hear you. Yeah. That this is, this is definitely so like Zelda usually gets away with it by just saying like for all of the talk about the Zelda timeline to me, clear as day, it's the same myth being retold by different yeah. societies yeah. at different times. Right. So like, yeah. it doesn't need to have a continuity when they do dare to have a continuity as with, I guess like spirit tracks takes place a hundred years after phantom hourglass, but it's on the same timeline for example, right? They tend to keep it loose in that way. Yeah. Uh, the only other direct follow-on, I mean, technically Adventure of Link is a direct follow-on in the original, but Hyrule looks nothing like the same Hyrule, so it, it almost it almost doesn't matter, right? Um, this is like almost unique, right? Because Majora's Mask follows the timeline directly, but you're not in Hyrule, right? Like this is something very different they did. And I think I think the crazy the crazy fools pulled it off. Yeah, and, and what you mentioned about like, I don't know, I, I think committing to the ending of your last i mean even if it's like a film right mm, mm. the committing to the ending of the first one and not trying to artificially undo it i think leads to really interesting new stories and that's what we tried to do in Oxenfree free too where it's like we we were like okay alex's story could have ended in many different ways we all it also like kind of closed the loop on alex um let's just commit to that and we'll reference it. But what's the next logical step that would happen? You don't have to pick a canon Alex ending. You can still exactly. progress the timeline. That's it's such a smart narrative trick because it would, yeah. it would feel not like a betrayal, not to be dramatic about it, but it would feel weird if right. one of, if only one of those possibilities were the one that happened. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We can't, we can't do that. We can't, I mean, I, I can see a world where that is that we were, we would do something like that, but, um, it feels it feels less like it's a sequel to my experience and more a sequel to one of the possible experiences, which is not as rewarding in the end. So totally, totally, um, totally. But yeah, that yeah, I love that in 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 Tears of the Kingdom, like just com committing to where the world was at after the last one. And not saying like, oh, another calamity happened and everything is kind of back to where it was. It's like, how can we evolve this world? How can we show that the the NPCs have agency, the characters have agency? What's the next logical step? They, they're rebuilding the world. They're moving on with their lives. Everyone's in the next stage of their life. Yeah, and it's going to be really yeah. rewarding to, to see that 
um, that kind of micro storytelling all over the world. Yeah. I will not ask you whether there's going to be an Oxen for three, but I will ask you, do you think they could pull this off again? Do you think there could be a trilogy of this mode of Zelda? Because I I kept thinking it's amazing they pulled it off twice, but I kind of want something completely different I, next time. I have no idea what that's going to be. I don't, I, like, I think what do you do? Yeah. Maybe they have one more. Maybe they can do one more of these. Um, Fujibayashi has said he has already pitched or put together a pitch for another Zelda game, but he did yeah. not say, obviously, I, I think like, you know, Anuma like took the mic and stomped on it when he started saying <laughs> what it was. So. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of want to go back to old Zelda for a little, just, I, I, or I want to have an old Zelda, uh, old style, mm. a new old style. Mm. Zelda, um, and see, see if like, I'd love to see the learnings they, they took from, these new games and brought them back to to that kind of formula um but also that's all probably driven by nostalgia like maybe there's no reason to go back maybe we'll never go back and we're 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 doing this now i thought link between worlds speaking of reusing settings was a bit of a banger i mean so there's there's clearly there's new ground to tread there yeah because if you're willing to get weird with it yeah that's true and i i would like i mean uh i would like to see a literal time mechanic in this totally. open world. Oh my god! You have oh one god. month to beat the game. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo's not going that way. They took the time limit out of Pikmin for God's sake. They're, uh, they're oh yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. which feels weird. It make it really changes how the game feels. I like in Pikmin Four, but it's very different without that impending sense of doom. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, for speaking sure. of an impending sense of doom, let's get back to everyday life. Great. Um, that's. Thank you for doing this. Of course. It's a, ter- it's a terrible ending. Why would I say that? Um, <laughs> where can I, people... I was going to say, I, I, uh, I'm i looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the rest of Oxenfree 2. Yeah, totally. Well, we, um, I mean, if you, I don't know if you want to do another podcast, but we, I'll tell you about it in person. Um, but yes. I would love to do a no spoilers barred conversation at some yes. point, perhaps. Um, where can people get Oxenfree 2? Uh, people can get Oxenfree 2 on Netflix, on their mobile phones. They can get it on PlayStation 4 and 5. Uh, you can find it on Steam and you can find it on Nintendo Switch. You can stick it right next to uh, Tears of the Kingdom if you are so inclined um, can, and, and right? all those other places besides. Anything else you want to plug uh, from the Night School Extended Universe before I let uh, you go? Night School Extended You can also get Oxenfree 1 on Netflix right now. You can get it anywhere on any platform except for the Vita. Except for the Vita. Run <laughs> away. Your white whale. <laughs> um, no, that's it. I think that's it. That was the only inside joke of the hour, by the way. That one was for Lucio, if he's listening. Um, (laughs) Thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that's the show. Links to Oxenfree 2 and the rest of the Night School catalog in the show notes. The Everybody's Talking at Once podcast is hosted and produced by me, Drew Messenger Michaels, with support aplenty from Francis Michelle Cannon, full disclosure, yes relation, as well as Lucio Valentino and El Viegas. Special thanks to Alan Dang. Our logo is by Aaron Perry Zucker using icons from the Noun Project. The current version of our theme song is by me. You can find more music that I make at carpedemon.band or by checking out the Charity EP Jam at charityepjam.bandcamp.com. Proceeds from the latter go to Able Gamers. If you'd like to hear me play tabletop role-playing games in less well-known systems with some unbelievably rad friends, you can do that over on DicePunks, which you'll find at DicePunks.com or by searching DicePunks in the podcatchy thing of your choosing. And in all those same podcatchamajigs, you will find this show. It's back catalog available for free to all. 
As I emphasized at the top of the show, I really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for doing that. No pressure to do anything else. But if you would like to support us, if doing so causes you no financial hardship whatsoever, and if you would like to check out our new premium feed, then you can support us on Ko-fi, on Gumroad, or most popular option currently on Patreon at patreon.com slash E-T-A-O. Tremendous thanks to our current supporters, including my mom, who I am currently spending some time with. Hi, Mom. And especially special thanks to Carlos de los Santos and Darth Raptora. And an even specialer thanks to the mysterious Ian Kay, Lucas Cosin, and Sylvain Dufresne. Not a bad first decade of this show, if I do say so myself. Thank you again for sharing whatever part of it you have with me, with me. Hope to see you in two weeks. Until then, do take care of yourselves. Do take care of each other. So long for now, everybody.